that'll be encouraging to us, hopefully. A couple of weeks ago, we talked about, on a Sunday morning, we, a sermon that we dealt with of losing your soul, Jesus warned in Matthew 16 and in verse 26 of the real danger of losing your soul. But prior to that ever happening, there is a real danger of losing your faith. And we talked about that in a following study, that Jesus warned Peter that he could lose his faith. He said, I've prayed for you that your faith fail not. But before that ever happens, there is a real possibility we could lose our courage. And so let's talk tonight about losing our courage, and let's turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and in verse 1. I might add to that that Evans picked some songs this evening that has gone along with the concept of being courageous and losing our courage or gaining our courage. And so one of the preludes before we ever reach the point of losing our faith is we may lose our courage. What does that mean? We'll talk about that. And that happens long before we ever reach the point of the danger of losing our soul. Here's what 2 Corinthians 4 and verse 1 says. The Apostle Paul writes, and this is the beginning of the chapter, he said, Therefore, since we have this ministry, as we have received mercy, we do not lose heart. Let's look at that expression, lose heart. Now we'll talk about the context in a moment, what he's saying about that in light of chapter 3, and what is the ministry he's talking about, and the mercy we receive. But he said, since we have received this mercy, and since we have this ministry, we do not lose heart. It's the idea of losing courage. Here's some other translations of that. We do not become discouraged, the NET says. Since we have this ministry, and since we have received mercy, we do not become discouraged. The NLT translates that, we never give up. And so does Williams and others. That we don't give up. That's the idea of losing your courage. So let's talk tonight about losing your courage, and there are three things we want to consider. Let's start with the meaning. What does it mean to lose your courage? What does it mean to lose your courage? And what is this text talking about of losing heart? And other texts like verse 16 of the same chapter, or Galatians chapter 6, or uh, Ephesians 3, all of those passages use this expression of losing heart. What does it mean? Well, let's start with the concept, and then we're going to talk about the effect. Let's talk about the concept first. So let's define this, this idea. And so let's go to 2 Corinthians 4 and verse 1. And I want you to notice this expression. Let's get where this is found, first of all, and then we're going to talk about what the word means. 2 Corinthians 4 and verse 1, he said, Therefore we do not lose heart. Or you may have a translation that says we do not become discouraged or we don't give up. That expression of losing heart is what we're talking about. Drop down to verse 16 now. We'll come to this a little bit later. 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and look at verse 16. Verse 16 uses the same expression, therefore we do not lose heart, even though the outward man is perishing, yet the inward man is being renewed day by day. And so here again is the idea of losing heart. Let's go to another text. Let's go to Galatians chapter 6 and verse 9. And let us not grow weary in doing good, for in due season we shall reap if we do not lose heart. Or your translation may say faint. Here's the concept again. Same word. Same translation, at least the, uh, in the New King James. Losing heart, or it's the idea of losing courage. Let's go to one more along that line, though it's not the only ones. Let's go to Ephesians, if you will. The book of Ephesians, chapter uh, 3, and in verse 13. Ephesians 3 and in verse 13, Therefore I ask that you do not lose heart at my tribulation. 
So all of these texts and several others use this expression, lose heart or be discouraged or give up, never give up. What is the concept of that? Well, let's define that. It is the idea of growing weary. Let's go back to Galatians 6 and verse 9. Now that you know that word is used there, let's go and look at it in its context. Look at Galatians 6 and in verse 9. The Apostle Paul says, let us not grow weary while doing good. What does it mean to grow weary? It means you grow tired. You become discouraged at doing what's right. Let us not grow weary in doing good. For in due season we shall reap if we do not lose heart or grow weary, is the idea. So the context had just defined for me that it's the same as growing weary earlier in the verse. It's the idea of growing tired, of doing what's good and growing tired and becoming discouraged over what's doing what's indeed right before God. Let's go to Ephesians chapter 3 and in verse 13. You've already turned there earlier. Paul said that he did not want them to lose heart at my tribulation. The New Century Version translates that, do not become discouraged over my tribulation. So it's the idea of being discouraged about something, and we'll see what that is it may be in these contexts. We'll come back and look at every one of these contexts in a few moments. We're still defining. It is the idea of being on the verge of giving up. I'm not convinced that it means to give up. Some think it means to give up. That is, if you are discouraged, you've already given up. But it seems to argue on the, from the vantage point of being on the verge of giving up. And we'll give some evidence of that a little bit later. Now, I cite all of these verses, 2 Corinthians 4, 1, 2 Corinthians 4, 16, Galatians 6, and Luke 18, 1 is another text, that Jesus spoke a parable that men ought to always pray and not faint or lose heart. It's the same expression. Williams' translation, in every one of those, uses this expression of giving up. Williams translates, verse 1, so because I have place in this ministry and because I have God's mercy shown me, I never give up. And so again at verse 16, I never give up, he says. So it's the idea of when, when I'm not losing heart, I'm never giving up. So it's the idea, seemingly, of being on the verge of giving up. So you see someone who is discouraged to the point they're just ready to almost give up. Upon what? Well, maybe it's their faith. Maybe it's their service to the Lord. It may be their marriage. Uh, it may be whatever that they have in their life. They're ready to give up on. They are discouraged. That's the idea of losing heart. The idea of losing courage. BDAG says that this word that's translated lose heart means to lose enthusiasm. No longer are you enthusiastic about what it was you once were enthusiastic about. The Logos sense renders this to be disheartened, to lose spirit. You no longer have spirit about you. Maybe it's again your service to the Lord. You still go to church, you still have faith, but you've lost your spirit. You've lost your enthusiasm. You're disheartened about your service to the Lord. Pulpit says the word implies the maintenance of a holy courage. Now that's interesting. The maintenance of a holy courage. That our courage needs maintenance. It needs work. And so I'm going to determine I'm not going to lose heart. I'm determined I'm not going to be discouraged. I'm determined I'm not going to give up because my, my courage needs maintenance. I need to maintain it. It's the idea. And preservation. Now Barnes says this. He said the word that's used here means properly to turn out a coward. You think, well, I'm discouraged, but I don't consider myself a coward. Well, the idea of being discouraged or losing heart is that you no longer have the courage to press on and do what's difficult. So therefore you back off 
in a coward spirit. Meaning, here's what I ought to be doing, and it takes some courage to press on. But I'm backing away from that because I'm losing heart. I'm losing enthusiasm. That's the same concept of that of being a coward. To lose one's courage, to be faint-hearted. Now let's go back and summarize what we just saw because we're going to make application of that and put them back in the context. What did we, have we just seen? Well, notice it's the idea of, of growing weary here. It's the idea of being discouraged on the verge of giving up. Losing enthusiasm, but what I've done here is interesting, to lose one's courage or to become a coward. It's the idea, again, of losing the courage that I need, the enthusiasm that I need to press on. Now let's make some application of that. Let's talk about the effect or the impact of that. So let's go back to our text. In 2 Corinthians 4 and verse 1, Paul said, We've received a ministry and I've received mercy, therefore I do not lose heart. What's he talking about? Well, what if I do lose heart? What is the effect or the impact of that? Well, here's the first. It means I've lost my zeal. It means I've lost my enthusiasm. I'll no longer have my enthusiasm. You think about one who is a new convert, who is zealous for the cause of the Lord. They're excited about serving God. They're excited about studying and learning. One who's lost their courage has lost their zeal and they've lost their enthusiasm. It's not there anymore. I didn't say they've lost their faith. We're going to come to that in a moment. They've just lost their zeal. Furthermore, there is less courage to do what they know to be right when it's hard to do so. Now, there's some things in the Christian life it's easy for you to do. But there are other things it's hard. You've got to press against the wind. And it gets harder to do that when we lose our courage. Courage is when you press against the wind and say, I'm going to do it anyway. But the idea of losing your courage is you have less courage to do what you know to be right. You're losing your courage, as Barnes suggested. It's the idea of being tired or frustrated as you press on against contrary winds. There are going to be contrary winds that we'll talk about in a moment. And as you have those contrary winds blowing in your direction, you're becoming tired of continuing to press on. I don't know if I want to press against those winds anymore. I don't know if I want to keep going in that direction because it seems like the harder I go in that direction, the harder the wind blows against me. So you're growing tired and frustrated. That's the idea of losing courage. But yet they've not lost their faith. Let's turn to 1 Thessalonians 5 and in verse 14. This is an important passage to draw a distinction. Just because one is weak or just because one is discouraged doesn't mean they've lost their faith. Nor does that mean they're unfaithful at this juncture. No evidence of that. Paul wrote to the Thessalonians in 1 Thessalonians 5 and in verse 14, and here's what he said. We exhort you, brethren, warn those who are unruly. The unruly, that's the same word, by the way, as translated in 2 Thessalonians 3 and verse 6. Talking about the disorderly. That's one who's totally unfaithful. That's why we withdraw from that. He said, warn the unruly. That's not all he mentions. He said, comfort the faint-hearted, uphold the weak, be patient toward all. Now, there are three categories of people that were mentioned there. Those who are unruly and unfaithful, you need to warn. But then there are going to be those who are faint-hearted. That's the category we're talking about. That's not the same as the unruly. They haven't lost their faith. They're, they're not put in a category of being unfaithful at this juncture. They may be on the verge of losing their faith, but they haven't lost their faith yet. They may become unfaithful, but they're not unfaithful yet. They're discouraged. And then he says, uphold those who are weak. So one could be weak and yet not be unruly. One could be faint-hearted and they're not unruly. So what I'm describing to you is not one who has given up on their faith. They haven't lost their faith yet. 
in fact. Linsky makes this distinction. Some of the lexicographers talk about this word means you, you, you're, you're, you're delving into evil. And Linsky makes a proper distinction. He said the verb does not mean to give in to evil. When he's losing heart, he hasn't given in to evil yet. But what it suggests, as Linsky goes on to say, they may start well, but sooner or later they're going to tire, especially in the exertion, when the exertion becomes hard. Let's go back to our text in 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 1. Therefore, having received this ministry and having received mercy, we do not lose heart. What are you saying, Paul? What I'm saying is that I, I'm not becoming discouraged. There are those who do become discouraged. There are those who do lose their enthusiasm. They do lose their zeal. They do lose their courage. They haven't lost their faith yet. I wouldn't say they're unfaithful yet, but they're on the verge of becoming unfaithful because they're headed down that path. That's a distinction we need to make. It's the danger of giving up. The danger of finally throwing up and saying, I, I just I tire of this. I'm, I'm pushing in the wrong direction, it seems like. And so I tire of this and I'm ready to give up. Now that's the meaning of losing your courage. Now let's talk about the cause of losing your courage. You may be sitting here tonight thinking, you know what, what you're describing is me. I, I, I feel like I've lost my enthusiasm. I've lost my zeal. I've lost my zip and my excitement for the cause of the Lord. And, and I feel like I'm pressing against the wind and I'm getting tired and discouraged about that. What caused all of that? Now let's go back to these texts and see what the text says. Let's go back to 2 Corinthians 4 and verse 1. These contexts will help us a little bit with that concept. First of all, there seems to be in 2 Corinthians 4 and verse 1, perhaps the feeling of failure. The feeling of failure. Now Paul is talking about receiving a ministry. So let's go back to 2 Corinthians 4 and look at verse 1. Therefore, since we have this ministry, what ministry is he talking about? Well, let's back up to chapter 3. Chapter 3, he said at verse 6, that we are ministers of the new covenant. We are sufficient ministers of the new covenant. Then he talks, the rest of the chapter talks about the contrast between the old and the new. And we'll come back to that in a moment. But we are ministers of a better covenant than that of the old, he says. And so our job and our mission and our ministry, our service is to is disseminating the gospel and telling people about this new and better covenant under Christ. That's his job, that's his mission. Now as Linsky observes, he says that we faint not, means we're not discouraged, is said in view of the apparent failure of this ministry because so many rejected the gospel which it brings. Go to verses 3 and 4 as Linsky suggests. So look at chapter 4, verses 3 and 4. Right in the context of saying we do not lose heart, Verse 3, for even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing, whose mind the God of the age has blinded, who do not believe, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is in the image of God, should shine on them. The point is, some are going to reject the message. In fact, most people will. So this would seem like a failing uh, ministry. We're ministers of the new covenant, but most people reject our ministry. And Linsky is right. This is said in view of the apparent failure of the ministry. We're going to preach. We're going to tell people, but they're going to reject it. Well, it looks like you'd get discouraged over that, Paul. No, not when I realize what ministry I have and the fact that we have received mercy. There are times we feel like we're spinning our wheels. Maybe there's some endeavor that you have. Maybe it's trying to teach someone the gospel. Maybe it's trying to lead your family. Or maybe it's trying to influence someone. Or maybe you're just trying to make improvement in your own life. 
Maybe it's in your own marriage. Maybe it's in your own home. You're trying to make some improvement in times you feel like you're spinning your wheels. You feel like failure, maybe. And that's one of the causes for being discouraged or losing heart. We'll come back to that context in a moment. Here's the second thing. Same chapter, let's go to verse 16. He mentioned this concept of losing heart or losing courage, but what's mentioned in this particular immediate context at verse 16? Well, he's talking about persecution. So I want to suggest to you, and we'll come back to this context for another point in just a moment, but there seems to be a physical challenge here. How so? Well, let's back up to about verse, verse, uh, verse 8. He said, we are hard-pressed on every side, yet not crushed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. Well, that gives us an idea of what he's talking about, that those who are in this ministry, this is the same chapter that we followed from verse 1, that those of us who are in this ministry, disseminating this message, we are persecuted, he said. Now then, let's drop down to uh, verse 16. Now, in other words, in this persecution, it's not just there's going to be some verbal assaults, but there was physical assaults as well. And then he says at verse 16, though we do not lose heart, in other words, we're not losing our courage, even though the outward man is perishing, yet the inward man is renewed day by day. What I want you to see in the context is here is one of the things that may cause this losing heart, and that is a physical challenge that they have. That is, as they try to go preach the gospel, they're physically challenged because there's persecution. There's danger to their bodies. Same context. Let's listen to another point. The contrary ones, the persecution we just talked about. They press on with ministry. We've already seen in verses 3 and 4, there'd be those who reject it. Not only do they reject the beginning at verse 8, he said we're perplexed, we're not in despair, we're persecuted, always caring about in our bodies the dying of the Lord Jesus, that we're delivered to death for Jesus' sake, verse 11. We go and preach the gospel and we're beat down. We're physically beaten. And and we face all kinds of contrary winds. And there may be contrary winds in your life. You feel like I'm pressing in this direction and I get pushed back. I make two steps forward and I get pushed back three. And I try again to do what's right and it seems like every time I try to do what's right somebody is opposing me and pushes me in the wrong direction. I'm ridiculed for doing what's right. I'm made fun of for doing what's right. I have my family against me. I have the world against me, my co-worker. And so it seems like I have all these contrary winds. And that causes us to become discouraged. Let's go to Galatians chapter 6 or something else. Now, we've already looked at the context of Galatians 6. But in Galatians chapter 6 and in verse 9, it may be that we're tiring because we're not seeing the immediate benefit. We live in a society where we want to see instant results. We want to do something and we get an instant response. We go in a direction and we want to know immediately I've benefited from that. We're not much on waiting to see the results down the line, maybe years later. And so let's see what he says in the context. Let's back up to verse 7. He says at verse 7, do not be deceived, God is not mocked. Whatever a man sows, he will also reap. What do you mean, Paul? Well, here's what I mean. Look at verse 8. For he that sows to the flesh will of the flesh reap corruption. But he that sows to the Spirit will reap of the Spirit life everlasting. Let's stop there and we'll come back to the flow of the context. He's saying if you sow to the Spirit, meaning... you're interested in the spiritual life and you're interested in spiritual things and you do spiritual things, you're going to reap eternal life. Now the benefits are not maybe reaped until until the end of time, maybe until eternity. 
But if you sow to the Spirit, you will reap of the Spirit, life everlasting. But if you sow to the flesh, you're going to reap corruption. That'll come later, but you're going to get some benefit now because there is indeed pleasure in sin, Hebrews 11 says. What I'm driving at is that, that we may tire because we're not seeing immediate benefit. So, so I, I choose not to commit this sin, but there's a lot of pleasure in that sin, but I'm not seeing the immediate benefit of me going in this direction and maintaining my purity. I don't see the benefit of that. Or I choose not to have a relationship, and the reason I choose not to have this relationship is because of the spiritual benefit that may result in eternal life. I'm not seeing immediate benefit of that. So let's go further, beginning at verse 9. Do not grow weary in doing good. You see, you could become discouraged because I'm not seeing the immediate benefit of my, my decision. For in due season, in time, you will reap if we do not lose heart, if we do not become discouraged. What does it mean if you don't lose heart? If you, if you tire of not seeing the immediate benefit. I've made this choice, and I know it was the right choice, but, but I, I've denied myself a lot of pleasure. Or I made a choice, and it's caused me some pain. And I know it was the right choice, but it's caused some consequences. And I'm not seeing immediate benefits of this. And so we become discouraged, and we're losing our courage. But here's something else. Go back to Ephesians 3. We were there earlier. In Ephesians 3, Paul is stating how he had prayed for the recipients of this letter. That's his point in this context. He's just been talking about the revelation of, the, of, of uh, uh, God's Word, the revelation of God's eternal plan. He just dealt with that earlier in the context. And so at verse 13, he says this, Therefore I say to you, do not lose heart at my tribulation for you, which is your glory. And what I'm suggesting to you is that fear sometimes is the cause of losing our courage. What's fear in this context? Well, he's writing to those, by the way, he is in prison. We'll come to that in a moment at the time of this letter. And he said, I don't want you to be discouraged. I don't want you to lose heart at my tribulation, at what I'm going through. There may be fear, that is, being afraid of being attached to a religion that exposes one to pain. Your religion may expose you to pain. It may cost you relationships. It may cost you friends. It may cost you family. It may make you uncomfortable about some things because you're dedicated to the Lord. It did the apostles. It did Paul under this circumstance. There's some tough decisions he had to make. And there may be the fear of being attached to a religion that causes me some discomfort and causes me some pain. So he said, I do not want you to lose heart over my tribulation, he says. And that causes us to lose our courage. You see, if I make that choice, that may be uncomfortable for me. If I go that direction, that may be uncomfortable for me. If I do this, then, then life will not be as pleasurable as I would like for it to be. And let's add one more along that line, and that is pessimism causes us to lose our courage. How so? Well, Paul is in prison at the time of this letter. This is not his second imprisonment. This is his first imprisonment. He was later released from this. He was expecting to be. But seemingly, he may be pointing toward pessimism of those who are looking at Paul. He remained faithful, and he was dedicating, he was devoting, and it cast him in prison. And that looks like that's where he's going to be. Will he ever get out? I don't know if I want that. I don't know if I want to go that direction. I don't want to know if I want to, to pay that kind of price, that pessimistic spirit causes us to lose our courage rather than being determined we're going to go. So what causes that? The feeling of failure, maybe a physical challenge, contrary winds, tired of not seeing the immediate benefit, 
fear, pessimism, those are all in the context. Those are not things we made up, but we looked at the context where Paul uses that expression of the danger of losing heart or losing your courage, and he said these are the things that cause that in these contexts. So let's go to our final point. And let's talk about the preventative. In other words, what can I do to prevent this? You say, I now know what caused that. What can I do to prevent that or maybe cure this in my life? Are you beginning to notice you're losing a little bit of your enthusiasm, a little zip? You don't quite have the fire you used to have, becoming a little discouraged. You have less desire to press on against contrary winds. What can be done about it? Let's go to these contexts and see what we find. Let's start with 2 Corinthians 4 and verse 1, right back where we started. Understanding something. Like understanding what? Understand mercy and the ministry. Let's go back to 2 Corinthians 4 and verse 1. He said, since we have this ministry, as we have received mercy, we do not lose heart. We're not going to lose our courage. Paul, why, why aren't you losing your courage? It looks to me like a, that with, with everything you faced, you would lose your courage. He said, no, 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 no. Not since we've received this ministry. And not since I have received mercy. Let's look at the context and see what he's talking about. Let's back up. Let's go back to chapter 3 now and in verse 6. He said, we're ministers of the new covenant. We're servants of God. God, God uh, blessed us in, in enabling us to be part of this ministry. What ministry are you talking about, Paul? I'm talking about being a minister of the new covenant, verse 6. Not of the letter, but of the Spirit. But for the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. What's he talking about? The Spirit gives life. He's giving emphasis to the life-giving qualities of the new covenant, wherein the Old Testament only pronounced death. We're not ministers of the old covenant and tell people that all this does is pronounce spiritual death upon you. There was no life pronounced at all under the old covenant. But we're ministers of the new covenant where we can tell people about spiritual life, he said. Like, what are you talking about, Paul? Well, let's go a little further. Look at verse 8. He said, how much, uh, how will this ministry of the Spirit be more glorious? For if the ministry of condemnation had glory, that's what the Old Testament did, it brought condemnation. The ministry of righteousness exceeds in more glory. Now look at verse 12. Therefore, since we have such hope, that is, through the new covenant, we have the hope of eternal life. Since we have such hope, we have great boldness of speech. Now, notice again. At verse 16, nevertheless, one who turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. So the veil is taken away under the new covenant. Now then at verse 4, or chapter 4, verse 1, since we have this ministry, since we've been entitled to be servants in this ministry under the new covenant, and since God has been merciful and gracious to be forgiving and pronounce complete forgiveness upon us, I'm not willing to be discouraged. I'm not going to lose heart. I'm not going to lose my courage. I'm going to press on. When I understand mercy and when I understand the ministry that I'm a part of. Same chapter now, verse 16. There he focuses on spirituality and eternity. Look at verse 16. Therefore we do not lose heart. Well, Paul, it looks to me like you just mentioned persecution and the, the, uh, the pain and the suffering that Christianity causes you. Why, how, how do you not lose heart? How do you not become discouraged with that? He said, here's why, here's two things. Look at verse 16. Even though our outward man is perishing, yet the inward man is renewed day by day. I'm not focused on the physical, I'm focused on the spiritual. 
They may take my body, but they don't take my soul. They can kill my body, but they won't kill my soul. The outward man is perishing, it's decaying day by day, but the inward man is continuing to be renewed. There's something that lives on beyond the grave, he says. So consequently, there's where my focus is. That's why I don't become discouraged. Secondly, look at verse 17. Look at verse 17. For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, is working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. I'm not focused on the here and the now. That's just for a little while. But I'm focused on eternity. So he said, because I focus on the spiritual and eternity, then I not, do not lose my courage. That's a preventative. Here's the third thing. How can I prevent losing my courage? Look at chapter 6 of Galatians and in verse 9. We're again putting all these passages in their context. Realizing that one day we will reap. Notice at verse 9, do not grow weary in doing good, but in due season we shall reap if we do not lose heart. You sow and you sow and you sow and you do what's right and you do what's right and you say, I haven't seen any benefit from that. Seems like every time I do what's right, I'm, I'm pushed backwards and, and it seems like that I'm not, I'm not seeing any immediate benefit of that. And I'd like to see some benefit of, 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 of making these right and wise decisions. And the text is saying that we need to realize we're going to reap in time. It may not be till eternity that you see the benefit of that, but you're going to reap in time. And when I realize that, that it's going to pay off, it's going to pay off, it's going to be worth it, for in due season we shall reap. If we do not lose heart, if we do not lose our courage, it's going to be worth it. Then we will be people who are not losing our faith or losing our courage. The last thing I want us to notice is in Ephesians chapter 3. Now this one is interesting. We've already talked about the context of the persecution, the tribulation, Paul's imprisonment. But what I want to notice is what's in verse 12 now. This is what's interesting. And he uses the word that's the opposite of losing the heart. Now this is seemingly maybe a play on words even. At, at verse 13, to start then, then go back to verse 12. Therefore I ask, therefore, what do you mean, therefore? It's based on something you just said. Therefore, I ask that you not lose heart. Do not lose courage. But what did he just say? In whom, that is in the Lord Jesus Christ, we have boldness and excess with confidence through faith in him. This word boldness is the opposite of losing heart. You're no longer a bold. You're no longer a courageous. You're no longer a zealous. This boldness, what is that boldness? Well, Bedak uses one of several words that he translates this with, that it means outspokenness. What does that mean? Several talk about, several commentators talk about it means to speak out and speak freely. Boldness. A person usually who is bold, now let's forget the context and let's just talk about boldness. A person who's usually bold is a person who free, freely speaks. And you walk up to somebody and, and they're just reserved and they don't say much and they don't talk to you much and you try to engage them in just a little short answer and they don't say, they're not very bold. But a person who's bold, they freely speak to you. But this is a boldness toward God. This is a boldness toward God. Look at verse 12. In whom we have boldness and excess with confidence through faith in Him. This is talking about our excess to God and our boldness to approach God and our boldness to talk to God. We're free to speak to God. 
We're outspoken to God because of that boldness and that excess we have to Him. Therefore, we do not lose heart. Now, interesting. Let's, let's, let's make the context flow. In whom we have this boldness, this outspokenness, and excess with confidence. Now, verse 13, therefore, based on what we just said, I ask that you do not lose heart at my tribulation. That is, when you see me suffering in prison, don't let that discourage you because you have access to God. You have boldness to talk to God about this. And you have free access to God. You can be outspoken to God. And consequently then, you will not lose heart. So what could prevent that? When I need to focus on the mercy God has shown toward me, that he's allowed me to be a part of the new covenant, this ministry. And when I focus on the spiritual, not the physical, and I focus on eternity and not the here and the now, and when I realize I'm going to reap in time for the wise decisions I make, and I also consider that I have access to God in the meantime, then that is a preventative to losing heart or losing our courage. Yes, there is a danger of losing your soul, but before that ever happens, there's a danger of losing your faith. But before that ever happens, there's a danger of losing your courage. We've seen what that means. We've seen how that's caused. And we've seen what the preventative is from the context of those passages that tell us not to lose heart or become discouraged. There may be one or more present this evening who's not a Christian, who's not a child of God. Would you come believing that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God? Would you repent of your sins, acknowledge your faith, and be buried in the waters of baptism for the remission of sins? If you're subject in any way, would you come while we stand and sing?